Data from the healthcare tech company Komodo Health show a nearly 30% year-over-year increase in vasectomies during the three months after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. That's roughly an additional 20,000 men. Vasectomies also went up by more than 40% in several states with new abortion restrictions, including Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Texas, and Utah. This is Pulse Check. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. Resident physicians at Elmhurst Hospital in Queens, New York, held a three-day strike this week, the first work stoppage of its kind in the region in decades. It's an example of the growing wave of unionization among medical residents around the country who say they're overworked and underpaid. A study from a team of researchers funded by the National Institutes of Health published this week brings scientists closer to a working definition of long COVID. The data, published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, comes from a survey of nearly 10,000 adults in the Researching COVID to Enhance Recovery, or RECOVER, cohort. And it found that the condition almost always involves some combination of fatigue, extreme exhaustion after completing tasks, brain fog, dizziness, heart palpitations, a chronic cough, thirst, chest pain, a change in sexual desire, and a change of taste and smell. And to address the U.S. fentanyl crisis, which took more than 70,000 lives in 2021, the House voted Thursday on the HALT Fentanyl Act. Carmen Pond joins us to detail the proposed bill. Hi, Alice. Thank you for having me. So you are just back from covering the House voting on the HALT Fentanyl Act. Let us know what that bill is and what was the outcome of the vote. The HALT Fentanyl Act proposes to permanently schedule fentanyl-related substances, which are basically street versions of the fentanyl drug, which is, as we know, deadly. And they are scheduled right now temporarily until December 2024. And what this bill wants to do or aims to do is to permanently schedule the substances as Schedule 1, which is the highest category of drug control, which basically categorizes substances that don't have any medical use or any good use, but that have a potential high risk for addiction and a harmful effect. So you had a lot of Democrats really divided on this. What were the different takes from different sides of the party and what ended up happening today? All of the Democrats who took the floor today during the House debate spoke against the bill, and they believe that the bill will do nothing to improve the fentanyl crisis that the U.S. is going through, uh, that the number of overdoses caused by fentanyl will now go down. While it would do, according to them, is put more people in jail, and that's people who use fentanyl, people who possess fentanyl, and not only the people who sell fentanyl that results in someone dying or getting injured. So those who spoke said this approach is a failed approach, is the war on drug approach that everybody knows hasn't worked. It will lead to more people of color being imprisoned, but it will not make a dent in the number of overdose deaths. At the same time, during the vote today, there were 74 Democrats who voted for the bill. That included House Appropriation Ranking Member Rosa DeLauro and quite a few other Democrats. Many of them probably were encouraged to vote for the bill because the White House on Monday did somehow endorse the bill. They did endorse the scheduling of the substances. And they said that's in line with the White House strategy for fighting fentanyl addictions in the U.S. 
Yeah, this really seems like a difficult tension. You've had so much conversation over the past few years of we need to treat addiction as as a healthcare issue, not as a criminal justice issue. You've seen that shift and this seems to be going back to kind of an earlier model. And yet you have a lot of people in both parties really supporting it. I mean, is that just because this crisis is so bad and people are at a loss of what to do? Some of the people who supported the bill, all of them Republicans in this case during the House floor debate, said if you sell fentanyl to a kid who gets injured or ends up dying, you should definitely end up in jail. You should be punished for that. And some of them argued that the Democrats who spoke against the bill are trying to be soft on crime and they're not doing enough to help kids who are dying from fentanyl. Now, we have to say fentanyl has become the top killer of people between 18 and 49. So young people, young adults, many of them get these drugs and they don't know at times that, you you know, the drug they're buying online, maybe they want to buy Adderall or Percocet, is actually laced with fentanyl. And fentanyl, even in small quantities, can kill. So many of them get the drug and they don't wake up the next day. So many lawmakers want to do something about this crisis. And there are many approaches on how to address fentanyl. This is one of them. There are other bills trying to focus on providing people with addiction treatment to make sure that the demand for fentanyl decreases. There are other bills trying to control the supply of fentanyl. As we know, fentanyl is produced in Mexico with raw materials procured from China. And many lawmakers in the GOP are trying to make sure that less fentanyl comes into the country. In some cases, some of them are taking a very tough approach and they would like the US military to actually get involved and in some cases like bomb clandestine labs of fentanyl in Mexico. Others want to take a more measured approach and try to work with Mexico to make sure that the drug doesn't flow to the US in the huge quantities that it flows now. There's so, so many bills. There's almost one bill a day introduced on fentanyl because it's such a big issue in the U.S. and lawmakers want to find solutions to it. You have a really interesting story recently on attempts to persuade or pressure the Mexican government into doing more on their end to crack down on the production and trafficking of fentanyl. And like you said, some of it is nice diplomacy and some of it is U.S. lawmakers threatening military action and violence. And so that has not, as you reported, really persuaded the Mexican government to work with the U.S. government in a close manner, right? Indeed, yes. So the, the Mexican president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, has at one point, uh, he said, we don't produce fentanyl. He suggested that all of it comes from Asia and it enters the U.S. through Mexico, but also through Canada or directly through U.S. ports. But he also has said he feels bad when he hears about the high number of young people dying in the U.S. from fentanyl and he wants to help. So this has been a bit baffling for people in the U.S. at times because it feels like contradictory. But at the same time, the Mexican president, just going back to what we were talking about of the war on drugs, also feels that this sort of like law enforcement prime approach, fighting the cartels doesn't work to stop the flow of the drug, in this case fentanyl, in other years, other types of drugs, and it only leads to more violence, much of it happening in Mexico. So he has engaged and officials have held meetings in the U.S. and in Mexico City, but many people feel that Mexico could and should do a lot more to stop this drug from reaching U.S. shores. And the bill that passed the House today, is that expected to pass the Senate? Is that the next step? 
That should normally be the next step, but because it didn't garner enough Democratic support, it's likely that the Senate will not pass it. At least that's what the Energy and Commerce Democratic ranking member, Frank Pallone of New Jersey, said. He felt that the bill is not comprehensive enough, that only focuses on the issue as a crime issue and law enforcement issue, and it should also include things related to treatment, more resources for law enforcement to seize fentanyl. So he thinks that the bill is really limited. And he did say on the House floor on Wednesday that he doesn't think it has a chance of passing the Senate. Well, thank you for staying on top of all of this very complicated news. And thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Alice. And before you go, I wanted to let you know about the Politico Healthcare Summit on Wednesday, June 7th. The summit will convene lawmakers and government officials to talk about how tech and innovation are transforming healthcare. You can learn more and register for in-person or remote attendance at politico.com. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Fra Abdullah is our producer. Annie Reese is our senior producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Alice Miranda Olstein. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting, Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.